Well, before I pray, I thought I would like to say that I have changed one word in the sermon title. Um, and I've changed that word from bringing to breathing. Now, when I submitted my sermon title, I did so like two weeks ago. And I don't know, somewhere around Friday, I'm like, no, it's not bringing conviction and glory. It's breathing conviction and glory. And thanks be to God for the Hebrew expert up here. She no doubt, not, and sincerely, she's like a Hebrew expert. Um, no doubt she did not make the same grade in Hebrew that I made in seminary. Um, I got a mercy B minus. And for that, I'm thankful, Dr. Dorsey. We appreciate you. Uh, so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Breathe on me, breath of Fill me with life anew, that I may love what Thou dost love, and do what Thou wouldst do. In Jesus' name, amen. breath of God. You ever stop to think about simply the sound of our breathing is the name of God? That the sound of every living creature is breathing the name of God? Have you ever noticed that when normal shifts, we stop breathing? We get tense. Whenever we get tense or scared or something changes, we stop breathing or stop breathing deeply, right? But when we take a deep breath, it recenters ourselves and we can press on with whatever's in front of us. God is a breathing God. God breathed and people became living beings. God breathed and a son was conceived and born and took his first breath. God breathed. And the son that died on Calvary's cross was alive again. The air in the upper room was thick as Jesus was finishing his time with the disciples. The sorrow of Jesus' departure so swamped the disciples that they had already forgotten that Jesus' death was not going to be the end of everything. In fact, Jesus' death would be the beginning of something brand new. But normal was shifting for the disciples. 
And Jesus could tell they were scared, they were confused, and quite frankly, they were not breathing. Jesus said, because I've said these things to you, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus had been the disciples' counselor, their paraclete in the Greek. Jesus' presence with them, his life with them, that had been their normal. But normal was about to shift. So Jesus made promises for when normal shifts. He promised another counselor, the Holy Spirit. Different person, same substance. He would be the spirit of truth, the teacher, the peace giver. The ministry of the Holy Spirit would help believers to bear witness to the grace and the truth of Jesus in every generation. Now, as Jesus closes his disciples' time with his disciples, he offers them another promise to sustain them when normal shifting. And y'all, this promise is good for us to remember as well. God will keep breathing. Jesus said, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can bear right now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you. He's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, Jesus knew the disciples were confused and scared. They, they couldn't process any more information. You ever been in one of those situations where you just can't process any more like, I can't think anymore about what's being said. Somebody's like, yeah, every one of your sermons, Randy. I'm in. <laughs> they couldn't process any more of what was going on. Their emotional wall had been hit. So he promised them. He promised them about the Holy Spirit and that he would, Holy Spirit would further guide him, them when he arrived. But Jesus' promises about the Holy Spirit were not just for the first disciples. See, the Lord knew there would always be trying times for the church. Every generation of believers has one or more struggles to face, both as a group and in our own lives, right? Every generation of believers has a task to make the gospel of Jesus Christ relevant to the generation in which they are living. The brilliance and the power of God is demonstrated through the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Holy Spirit that multiplies the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ across generations. So that even 2,000 years later, the living, breathing word of God in the flesh is still among us. And when we start thinking generations, this room is full of them right now. Probably five generations in this room right now. And the Holy Spirit is breathing across all of them. Jesus teaches in today's lesson that the breathing Spirit convicts and glorifies. Convicts and glorifies. 
And here's the good news. We're not waiting on the the Spirit to come. He's already come. The promise has been fulfilled. Our guide, the Holy Spirit, is here among us. He is breathing and speaking and convicting people to follow Jesus because following Jesus brings salvation. And salvation brings glory to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But see, all of that needs unpacked a little bit. So I'm going to take a moment and unpack that a little bit further. Why what Jesus means when He says conviction and glory. So let's talk first about breathing conviction. (sighs) Breathing conviction. Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, when we think of this word convict, we often think of criminal proceedings, right? This word, elenko, in the Greek, and I know I said Greek, whatever, you'd be fine. Um, which translated as convict is also translated, listen, this is cool, is also translated as expose. In other words, to show someone their error in the hope of convincing them otherwise. Now, has anyone ever shown you your error about something? How did that feel? Not too good, right? I would be remiss this Mother's Day if I didn't at least offer one Mother's Day illustration. And now last year, I spoke at great length about the love of my mother. And so, Mom, if you're watching today, know that I love you. Happy Mother's Day. But I'm going to talk about Mamaw today. My mamaw has gone on to be with the Lord. But praise be and thanks be to God, her spirit still breathes in my life. Now, you may find this hard to believe about me, but when I was a teenager, I could at times be arrogant. No. And then to top that arrogance off, I had a very smart-alecky mouth. I've always been good with this thing. The Lord just happened to harness it. Now, my mama and I often had lengthy conversations about a great many things, but mostly about God, and they were usually sitting in her living room. And I cannot remember for the life of me what we were talking about one particular day. I just remember that I was in high school and I knew everything. As we talked, my grandmother used the word naivete in a sentence about me. I remember smirking and laughing at her when she used that word. See, I'd never heard that word before. I didn't know it exists. I thought she meant to say naive. And behind my laughter was an unconscious bias. See, Mamma lived in a rural part of northeastern Tennessee. She had a very... Thick southern Appalachian accent. It's much thicker than mine. Much, much thicker. And I can completely get rid of mine if I want to. I've been trained to not use it. Hers was much thicker. Ain't no training it out of you. I assume, as a kid from one of the city schools, that I must know more than my mamma. I forgot that she was an honors graduate from high school and a member of the National Honor Society. She chose not to go to college, even though she was going to go to college to be a teacher. Instead, she married my grandfather, who was 
the son of a sharecropper, and, well, the rest is history. Have you all ever been biased towards someone? Perhaps they speak differently than you, or they're from another region of the country, like the southern Appalachians, so you assume they aren't as intelligent as you by the way they speak or simply where they're from. Well, if it hurt her feelings, she never let on. Mamaw was good like that. And after the appropriate time of allowing me to suitably put my size 13 foot in my mouth, Mamaw quietly got up from her chair. She grabbed the dictionary off the bookshelf. She opened it to the word naivete and placed that open dictionary in my lap. She pointed to the word. Then without saying anything at all, she returned to her chair and she quietly waited. There was a smile on her face, but there was no hint of I told you so in the smile. In that moment, my ignorance was elencoed. My ignorance was exposed. And she did it graciously. She so graciously exposed me to my error. And in doing so, she convinced me that I was wrong about two things. One, the word naivete is in fact a real word. And two, perhaps more importantly, my bias against my own kind was harmful to myself and others. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is breathing conviction. The Spirit is breathing the exposure of error. And the Spirit's doing it in every generation. And what's the error, Jesus goes on to say, is sin. In regard to sin, Jesus says, because people do not believe in me. Now, we Christians, sometimes we misuse the word sin. Because we like to use the word sin to strengthen our own bias against other people and their behaviors. We like to say things like, well, at least I'm not doing that. But Jesus is crystal clear that sin, at its basic form, is not believing in Him. And listen, for all the change, and there's been a lot, right? For all the change that has taken place and is taking place in our world. In a world where normal is ever shifting, the one thing that has never changed in the history of humanity is human nature. That ain't never changed. We, by nature, think we know best. Jesus is God's way of saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince people to believe in Jesus so that God becomes the center of a person's soul and not the self. 
In other words, are you God-centered or are you self-centered? Because if you are only self-centered, then you are incomplete, not made fully the way God wants to make you full. See, wholeness comes through Jesus Christ and who continues in this passage by saying, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. Friends, never lose sight of this fact. Our God is a holy God. Righteousness is the standard of God's character. As Isaiah the prophet reminds us about God, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways and God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, the world of Jesus' time rejoiced over his death. Oh my gosh, were they rejoicing as he died upon that cross. But their rejoicing turned out to be the rejoicing of the damned. Because Jesus arose and he ascended into heaven. He is righteous as his Father is righteous. So he belonged there at his Father's right hand. So to believe in Jesus is to receive the gift of being made whole. Through a right relationship with a holy God. A God who loves the world so much that he gave his only son. And by his breath. Is still giving life in his only son's name. Jesus finishes by saying, and in regard to judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You know, the world thought it put Jesus on trial. It did. The world thought it put Jesus on trial. It did not. See, God put the world on trial through Jesus, and the judgment of the world was witnessed on the cross. The cross is the judgment. It clearly shows and exposes the true state of the world. Furthermore, Jesus' death shows the gruesome reality of the presence of Satan, who is the prince of this world. He's not the king, but he is a prince running amok. But Jesus won a decisive victory over Satan on the cross, exposing to the world that the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that the prince of this world can offer is ugliness and death. But Jesus promised more. He said that the Spirit would be breathing glory, and glory is the name of Jesus. Oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine, that's my name, and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I am said to the Spirit, we'll take from what is mine and make it known to you. Do you see the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes the name of Jesus and His story known to every generation. The Holy Spirit writes the name of Jesus upon the tablets of our heart. He shares that old, old story of Jesus and His love, that the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the, the breath of Jesus blowing at Pentecost and that breath is still now blowing around the world. Oh, and there's another promise. The promise of Jesus' return and that'll just be any old day now. The Holy Spirit has brought us the story of Jesus to every generation since Jesus. And all of that is to God's glory. 
Simply saying the name Jesus is to God's glory. One of the congregations I served had a puppet team. And there was a little boy who was excited to come see the puppet show. And when he came into the sanctuary with his parents, he kept looking around. And he was asking them, where's Jesus? I want to see Jesus. And his mother responded, a really thoughtful response. His mother responded, we'll we'll be singing about Jesus and we'll be talking about Jesus, but we won't actually see Jesus because Jesus is in our hearts. Isn't that a great response? That's a great response. Well, after the puppet show was over, the little boy, he, he received a lollipop. And I don't know about you, but even in 47, I get excited when somebody gets me a lollipop. Well, yeah, lollipop. After the puppet show was over, he received a lollipop. And on his way out of the sanctuary, um, as he was leaving, he heard my voice. He heard my voice. He was about three years old. He heard my voice and he turned around and he ran up to me and he was super excited. And he said, Jesus, I have a lollipop. Kid thought I was Jesus. Now, what's the moral of the story other than the fact that I ain't Jesus? Lord, I'm, I, I don't want to be struck down. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not you. I'm not saying that. The moral of the story is this. Glory be to God that that little boy knew the name of Jesus and knew he could find Jesus where God's people were gathered. Because where two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. The promise made by Jesus that God will not stop breathing, y'all, that is a promise that's kept. God is still breathing. So let's not forget to breathe with Him. Because the church is a living, breathing body of Christ. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into an unbelieving world and share the story of Jesus with our lives. God's not asking us to save people. That's His job. God's just asking us to be Jesus. To overcome our biases and love others. So they might come to know His grace and truth for themselves. All we have to do is keep breathing the Spirit. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, till all this earthly part of me close with the fire divine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.